The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This time, we're revisiting a theme that's becoming increasingly pertinent, artificial intelligence and how ethics can be applied. But first, as always, go and make a cup of tea. I'm sorry, I mean, listen to me talking about myself for a minute so you know who you're listening to. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist, event MC, and media trainer with over 30 years experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books, or seen me in The Guardian, New Statesman Tech, and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and hear experts talking about their forecast about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, and the action we need to take right now. So I came up with the Near Futurist concept. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the showreel on the site and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk. That's nearfuturist as one word. Or get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, also on the site. And of course, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. And if you're new to the show, you're very welcome. But that's quite enough blather about me. My guest today is an artificial intelligence researcher and data scientist at the Palo Alto Research Center, that's Park, a Xerox company. As manager of the machine learning and data science group, he's interested in the interplay between people and technology and chairs the AI Ethics Review Committee, which we'll come to later. Before joining Park in 2008, he worked for Hewlett Packard as a software architect. Kyle Dent, you're more than welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. But first, uh, Carl, as always, I've taken the bio I was sent uh, and more or less read it out. So please tell me about yourself and your organization. When I was starting off as a journalist, it was known as Xerox Park, I remember. Yeah, so we're still commonly referred to as Xerox Park, although Park, which originally started as a captive research center within Xerox, was spun out as an independent subsidiary in 2002. So there's been a number of years now when we've been somewhat independent from Xerox, but we are still a wholly owned subsidiary. And a good portion of our work continues to be for Xerox, but we also do uh, other commercial clients as well as government work. Okay. Can I just pause you there and ask you to explain Captive Research Center, just for uh, anybody who's listening who doesn't understand what captive means in this sense? Oh, yeah, sure. So it's probably more of a historical term anyway. When uh, corporations often had their own research centers like Bell Labs, et cetera, when they were within the corporation and functioning as a, as a department of the corporation, then they were referred to as captive research centers as opposed to uh, a research center that was outside of the organization. So uh, where uh, do you fit into the whole world of artificial intelligence? What, uh, what contribution does PARP make to it? Well, PARC has a lot of activity, not just in artificial intelligence, but lots of research related to uh, electronic materials, hardware systems, and software. So we're made up of uh, four different labs. Two of them focus more on hardware, two on software. And the lab that I work in is especially working on artificial intelligence. And for myself, most recently, I'm becoming more and more involved in the ethics of AI. And this is a topic that has a lot of facets, but I've been especially interested in my own responsibility and the responsibility we as AI researchers in general have when we're developing the technology. 
it's being used in so many ways more recently that it's starting to have a real impact on people's lives. And I think that those of us involved in the research and development have an obligation to do what we can to not introduce harmful technology and to minimize unintended consequences that might come from That's all completely laudable. I accept the motivation completely. Just to fill in a bit of background, I've been to a number of conferences where somebody stands up there and says, they give the example of autonomous vehicles, you know, supposing a vehicle had to decide what to do in split seconds. The classic image they come up with is uh, as if there were two pedestrians and one will certainly die because of an accident. How does the AI decide which? I'd go deeper than that. Somewhere, Someone somewhere has to decide what level of fatalities is actually acceptable in the world of uh, autonomous vehicles because we're not going to eradicate it totally um, any more than we can with training human drivers that better. There will always be fatalities. That's the sort of weight that's on your shoulders. How do you even begin to address issues as deep as that? Well, I, I think you, in your framing your question, you're right that you want to go deeper than just that kind of super consider, superficial mm-hmm. consideration of this as the, uh, the trust problem, which is a classic, uh, you know, moral dilemma situation. That, um, a- AI is nowhere near able to deal with that kind of a split second decision about doing moral calculation and then deciding I'm going to kill this group of people as opposed to this group of people. It is, at this point, that is, should not be of too much interest for AI researchers who are developing, on techno- developing technology that they'd like to see in the world today. So, yeah, we've had some fatalities from autonomous and semi-autonomous vehicles already. So how much is acceptable is a good question. And I think it's something that we as a society need to decide. And for driving, I'm actually a little less concerned about it because driving, it's already a heavily regulated activity. So we have mechanisms in place to allow or disallow the use of self-driving cars. And some states are already working through it. So what concerns me more is where AI is being used to make decisions about people's lives, and there's absolutely zero discussion about it. So our, the conversations could be along the lines of what levels of bias or inaccuracy should we consider tolerable? I think we really need to have society-level awareness and a conversation about how to deal with that. I wonder if you could give me a few examples uh, about that. I've spoken to other people about bias in, in artificial intelligence, how almost impossible it is not to introduce, say, your own bias towards, towards ethics, towards all sorts of things, because someone's got to do the programming. And what I find ethical, you might not. And if we come from completely different cultures rather than the fairly similar UK and the US, we might find even more diverse views on what's ethical, what's not. So wh- where do you even start with a thing like that? Yeah, this is a really hard problem, and and unfortunately, it's not necessarily one of the most active things being worked on, because as you mentioned, you go to conferences, you hear people talking about how are we going to get cars to decide who they should kill when when they have to kill somebody. But the fact is, we are using technology today that is making decisions about people's lives, and we don't have a good handle on what kinds of biases are inherent in that technology. There is a lot of discussion now about bias in data, so that you know we are making headroads there, but much less conversation now about bias that's being introduced by the people who are making the technology themselves. I've had conversations even with my colleagues who make the statement that technology is inherently neutral. And I try to explain, well, no, you're making decisions. You're 
choosing algorithms, you're selecting weighting schemes, and all of these things have an, an effect on how that technology operates, and there are potential ethical implications in that. So I think we, we are at a point where we don't have a good handle on it, and yet we are deploying the technology in ways where this is having an impact. Is this perhaps uh, when you're talking to your colleagues, I'm wondering whether it's a generational thing. If people have grown up with technology, they may perceive it as more neutral than it actually is, or, or am I barking up completely the wrong tree there? That might very well be true. The one conversation I have in mind in particular was a more junior colleague, but I should say that I think even among researchers my own age, there's not much thinking about it in general. There's not much awareness. And I don't, you know, I'm not making judgments about them. I think they're very focused on building the best technology they can, but it's just not a major consideration for a lot of the people who come up through, you know, computer science academic programs that, that hasn't been emphasized. And it's just not something they've been trained to think about. Well, that's interesting because what we don't want to do is dampen the developers' enthusiasm. There's massive enthusiasm from a lot of the developers, and we're not going to get very far if that isn't still around for quite some time. But how do you stay grounded? Is it a matter of gaining experience and you know bringing life experience to bear when you're looking at uh, issues like this? It's a really good question, and it's something I struggle with, and in, in my own work through our ethics committee park, you know that, that we're trying to bring out. So one thing is, this is starting to happen in academia where they are introducing ethics courses for computer scientists. I'm not sure that's going to be enough, but I do think that we have to get researchers thinking about how the technology is going to be used in the real world. So a lot of the work that AI researchers do or AI developers do is on these established data sets. And this makes sense because that's how you can gauge the progress of your technology. So a famous data set is the ImageNet that's uh, used for training systems and testing systems doing facial recognition or, or uh, image classification or object recognition within images. And you know, that data set is the, the gold standard that everyone uses to, to gauge these systems. But we don't really know if that data set is representative of the tasks the technology people is creating is representative of those tasks. And we need to get people to think about if, in fact, the technology I'm creating right now is to be used in the real world, how is it to be used? Who's going to be effective? Do I have the right data? Questions like that have to be asked. I think that's right. Uh, I mean, partly because so much of uh, what goes into our own decisions as human beings is quite unconscious. Uh, um, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine happens to be a psychologist. Uh, she helped on one of our local TV stations in the UK with an experiment. People had applied for a job and their genders were hidden on the application forms they filled in. But the men who typically use more aggressive language, what we might call masculine language, words like ambitious and aggressive, still got more of the jobs than the women who were uh, using words like collaborative and uh, cooperative and so forth. I mean, if you're designing a system, how do you, I mean, it must be difficult enough for the complexity of the algorithms to keep conscious prejudices and conscious presuppositions out of the equation. 
is it actually possible to detect unconscious prejudice? I mean, the people, the recruiters who were actually giving uh, more men jobs than women because of these uh, use of language, they were horrified when they realized what happened. They were utterly mortified that uh, they have these inbuilt prejudices. Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, we don't realize how, you know, the, the perspectives we have are skewed and, and we don't think about that fact. Unfortunately, we actually don't know how to do this in the technology. It is an active area of research. There's a lot of activity right now about judging fairness, detecting biases, and not just statistical biases, but outcome biases too. It's, it's really a surprisingly hard problem. You, you wouldn't think that it's as difficult as it is. But I think in addition to having the development be thinking through all those questions that I asked before, we have to be testing the technology once it's deployed and looking at considerations like that. Are we disadvantaging some subgroup of our population in the use of this tool? And that has to be uh, tracked periodically over time, probably for the life of the use of that technology. But at least until we get a better handle on where we are making these mistakes and actually creating harm in the world. I suppose the first uh, step is to acknowledge that uh, the risk of harm exists. And uh, certainly from your tone, you've acknowledged that uh, very much so. And of course, Park is doing something specific to address this. Could you tell me a bit about the AI Ethics Review Committee, who's on it and uh, how it came about? Yeah, so we have this AI Ethics Review Committee at Park. We started forming it last year, and it's been really a grassroots effort. So myself and other researchers, uh, a couple of other people got it started, and we've since expanded it into to more researchers at Park. But we spent a good portion of last year developing a, a mission for our committee, writing up guidelines, and we use those guidelines now to evaluate ethical implications of uh, all of the AI technology development at Park. Like I said, we started as a grassroots effort, and since then we've discussed the committee with our upper management at Park. They've been very supportive of the idea. And our goal is in this committee is to be a resource to all of the researchers at Park and help them to understand the implications of this work. Uh, we review individual projects looking for things like, uh, is it possible you've, you've got bias in your data? We're looking at, can we eliminate risks? Or if there is inherent risk, can we provide guardrails? Can we mitigate for possible unintended consequences? All, all questions like that. So that's a big part of our mission in the committee. We also are interested in participating in the wider community of people working on ethics around AI. So we try to have lots of conversations outside of work as well. And I've got to ask you how you went about constituting this committee. And the backdrop of this, of course, is that Google tried uh, something very similar last year. And uh, it lasted a princely sum of two weeks because uh, the backlash was just unbelievable. I mean, you've obviously got past that stage. But this is how hot a topic it can be. How do you go about constituting and sanity checking who the members are and so forth? Like I said, we, it started kind of ground up, which is different from a lot of the press you hear about in you know, big tech companies that are forming ethics committee. And there's a concept now called ethics washing. And I, I'm not saying that about Google. I, I, don't, I don't have any comment on Google. Sure, efforts, but, but that was purely an example. And uh, if any lawyers are listening, yeah. we are not criticizing Google, just stating the historical fact. That's very clear. Yeah. Right. So that was unfortunate for them. But there, there is this idea of ethics washing where the tech companies know that people are starting to pay attention to this. 
and they are starting to make efforts to do that. And in some cases, maybe those efforts aren't as sincere as we would like them to be. I think the fact that at Park, this is really coming up from the ground level is, is we researchers are driving this and it's not a, a management or a marketing uh, directive. We need to cover this, you know, check off this box. It's really something we're sincere about taking responsibility ourselves. So uh, and you mentioned also, sorry, carry on. I just want to say you mentioned about who, you know, who do you put on the committee? This is a very important aspect of ethics around AI, which is that you have to have a lot of perspectives. And in tech, unfortunately, it tends to be very much uh, male dominated, very much white dominated. So to the extent it's, it's possible, we're trying to include different voices that are within the organization. And also that's part of the reason we also want to reach out beyond just park is to hear from lots of people. And I think that we also want to include voices from all kinds of stakeholders, not just the, the, the people working on the technology, but the people who are potentially affected by the technology. Right. Have there been any practical outcomes so far? Have you been able to do much in the way of guiding the development of AI from Park? We got this started last year and spent the bulk of last year designing the committee and, and our function. Since then, we have done a, a test run on a project that had already happened. And we've started the review of a new project. So really, this is a new effort. But I will say that the test one that we did did reveal some questions that came out of that that were very interesting and something that the, the researchers had not thought about. It was important enough that those researchers subsequently went back to their customer and um, communicated some of the results from our review. So I think it was very useful even, even in that initial testing Kate, and um, right now we're looking at a, a new project, and I think that we'll have some uh, interesting advice for the researchers involved in the project. So I'm hoping that yes, we're we're doing positive things. I, I got to believe that we are. Well, I, I certainly wish you every success with it. Um, how do you see this developing in the long term? You've mentioned reaching outside Park. I mean, do you see this becoming a, a cross industry movement, or uh, is it a case of wait and see? And see how your first few projects go what, what, what where do you see this in a few years time i think it needs to grow and it will be a cross-industry thing and i think that's starting to happen i think i mentioned academia before we need to have participation there but also companies involved in, and honestly i think government needs to have a role in this as well but yeah it, it's a very difficult problem it's having widespread impact now, and a lot of people need to be participating in this conversation. And, I, and I'm hoping, yeah, that we can be part of that through this committee. Excellent. Well, perhaps to finish off, you can tell us where listeners can find out about uh, you, uh, Park, and of course, the Ethics Committee and the ethics issue overall. Yeah, so we've published our work on GitHub, github.com. But if you just search for AI Ethics Park, I think a lot of material comes up, some articles that I've written, also that the committee work on GitHub. Yeah, I, I occasionally tweet on this topic. So there's a lot of information out there and it's not just, you know, we're not the only ones talking about this. I think we are in kind of a unique position because like I said, we're being driven from the ground up, but it's a, uh, there are a lot of people starting to you know, make noise about it. Okay, you mentioned you tweet about it. Uh, could you share your Twitter handle with us, please? Yeah, Kate Dent. Kate Dent. D-E-N-T. Excellent. Well, 
Kyle Dent, thank you very much indeed for joining me and very best of luck with it. Thanks. It's, it's been great. I appreciate you having me on. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futures podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Thank you.